Hello, this is Lucy Brazier. Today's leadership quote comes from Mark Twain. 20 years from now, you're going to be far more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the things you did do. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbour, catch the trade wind in your sails, explore, dream and discover. The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. Thank you for listening to the Leader System podcast. Is that Beth Thirty what? Thirty-eight. Thank you. Hello, Leader Assistants. I'm super excited for this week's episode with Lucy Brazier. She's founder of the world's leading global publication and conferences for administrative professionals, Executive Secretary Magazine and Executive Secretary Live. Uh, I got to meet Lucy in person in Atlanta for the Executive Secretary Live event recently, and I'm actually speaking at Executive Secretary Live in London, and so I'm very excited to participate in her wonderful uh, events. But before we jump into my conversation with Lucy, I just want to take a second to thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. Um, I just crossed the 60,000 listen mark for the show. We're in episode 38, so um, I'm not a math person, but it's very humbling, and I'm very grateful to all of you for listening and taking time out of your day. So thanks again. Uh, Keep leading well, and keep listening if it's helpful for you. Uh, And if it is helpful and you find it valuable for you, please leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, If you don't know which one to use or which one to leave a rating on, Apple Podcasts is kind of the industry leader in reviews, and I would appreciate your time to, yeah, leave me a review. I also want to let you in on a little bit of news. So I am about to finish writing my manuscript for my first book. It's called The Leader Assistant. Uh, Subtitle is TBD. But I'm very excited. It's a very long process, um, very rewarding, very challenging. It's very vulnerable to write and be honest about my experience as an assistant and my story and my struggles and my weaknesses and the things that I failed at. So I'm very excited but also nervous to publish this book in 2020. Um, But I really appreciate your support. And I really appreciate the opportunity to even do this. So anyway, I'm writing my book. I hope you'll sign up for my email list to keep updated on that. You can sign up at leaderassistant.com slash sign up. And yeah, I'll keep you posted on the status of the book and when the pre-orders become available. Um, And I even ask for feedback from you and those of you who have given me feedback already. I really appreciate it. It's been very helpful in the process. All right, check out episode 38 with Lucy Brazier. Uh, Show notes can be found at leaderassistant.com slash 38. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Leader Assistant podcast. Today, I have a very special guest uh, with me, Lucy Brazier. Lucy, thanks so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. And you are in London today, correct? I am, yes. Rarely at home, actually. <laughs> well, it's so great to be talking to you from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. 
uh, all the all the way on the other side of the world in a different time zone. Uh, what? Let's start off with what was your very first job? Oh my word! I left school um, and went the next day to go and work in a wine bar in the centre of London. Um, very very junior. Um, just literally, you know, stacking bottles, helping out in the kitchen, all that stuff. And I think um, I was there about a month and the lady that ran it walked out and I ended up with a real baptism of fire because it was only her and I that were in there. And I have to say, it probably taught me some of the biggest business lessons that I have had in, you know, how to deal with people, how to deal with very different, difficult and irrational people, um, how to deal with books, how to get people enthused about what you're trying to do, very basic marketing. And at the time, I had no idea what I was doing at all. But looking back, I think it was probably the best baptism into the world of business I could possibly have had. Hmm. When and why did you start executive secretary and and tell my listeners a little bit about executive secretary and what you're up to. Okay. So, um, the first thing that I will say is that whenever I say that the magazine is called executive secretary, everybody goes and is horrified, especially in America. Um, but actually the term, um, secretary means keeper of secrets. It is a brand that has been going now, my goodness, about 26 years, um, although I took the brand over in 2003. So, you know, it's a little bit like the Telegraph or the Times or whatever. Yes, it's a very old-fashioned word, but actually it's a brand. It's what it stands for, um, which is important to me. And we periodically talk about changing the title um, and modernizing it. But actually, I think you know, we always come to the conclusion that secretary is still the term quite often globally, although in the UK and Australia and um, America, obviously, it's not so. And we are a global publication. So just to explain that. But um, executive secretary was originally a newsletter and it was um, a UK publication and it was purely training and it went out once a quarter Um and it was run by a lady called Joe Denby. And when I discovered it, I was um, working, doing some PR for somebody that wanted to get a story into this particular newsletter. So I contacted um, Joe Denby to ask whether I could get this piece of PR into it. And she said, well, actually, I'm going to shut it um, very shortly because I've been running it now for about 16 years and it's never made any money. And, you know, I'm coming up into my seventies and it's been fun, but actually I don't think it's something I want to do anymore unless you would be interested in talking to me about taking it over. Well, I had been in publishing since I was 18. I worked at a local newspaper. I worked for the times. I worked for the independent. Then I went working for consumer press. Um, and latterly was a publishing director, which is the equivalent of a managing director for a big publishing house up in London, looking after 13 magazines, a whole heap of events Mm. and about a 90 million pound budget. So, you know, her offering me that, um, I went and had lunch with her in Devon, which anyone who knows the UK will know that from London to Devon is about five hours. And at the end of that meeting, she said, I think you're absolutely the right person. If you'd like it, you can have it, but you have to promise me you'll never have advertising in it and you'll continue to run it for the subscribers that have paid so far. So I ran it as a newsletter for several years. Um, and then in 2010, I burned out um, and found myself overnight going from a six-figure salary to zero. And between us, my husband and I have seven children. Hmm. Um, I have three, he has four, and um, sitting there like a deer in the headlights thinking, what am I going to do now? 
we had long conversations about the fact that actually maybe this was a good plan and something that I could do from home that would give me work-life balance, ironically enough, <laughs> considering the way that it's gone. Hmm. But, um, you know, I, I at that point launched it as a proper magazine, which is what I'd wanted to do since I'd owned it in 2003. And then the rest is history. Wow. So tell me a little bit more about your burnout and maybe how that kind of happened or what, what you've done to prevent that from happening again? Um, well, I think I'd worked pretty much nonstop since I was 18 and I've always had a bit of a mad work ethic, you know? Um, and I was relatively young, I guess I was doing a job where I was on a train at seven o'clock in the morning. I was very rarely home before 10 o'clock at night. We had these seven kids um, ranging in ages from about, well, how old would Sam have been then? Sam must have been about 12, my youngest one. And Danny, my eldest one, is only eight years younger than me, but they were all living with us. So, you know, huge job, no time to think. And we had just done year end. And I walked into the office one morning, looked at the computer and just thought, I can't do this anymore. And I lost about 27 pounds in the in the space of a couple of weeks and was really very unwell indeed. And the doctor said to me, you just won't work at that level again. Um, but I actually think it was as much about the politics as anything else. And the publishing industry is a rat race, really. And part of the reason I wanted to start this and to do this for myself is because I always believed that you could do publishing ethically. You could do, you didn't have to be a nasty person in order to um, run a publishing company. And I think very successfully over the last eight years, I've managed to do that. Uh, you know, I'm very careful these days. I know if I'm getting too tired and when I have to put my foot on the brake, I have my um, apartment in Spain, which I got six years ago, which, you know, is my saving grace when I'm absolutely past it. We take off there and I just sleep for a little bit, but I eat properly. I do exercise. And there's a reason why those top executives do go and do exercise and are rigorous about their diets and all that kind of stuff. And it's because it rids them of the stress. So I just think I have a much better work-life balance now, despite the fact I spend most of my life running around the world delivering training. It doesn't feel like a job. It feels like something that I'm absolutely passionate about. And I, I feel very blessed to be able to do it. That's awesome. So great. Um, so speaking of kind of working in the executive training uh, world and, you know, running this magazine. Um, you've been very encouraging and supportive of me. What can EA advocates and trainers do to team up and support each other instead of maybe seeing each other as competition? The thing is, Jeremy, you know, I think we're looking at half a billion assistants worldwide. You know, it's a fifth of the world's working population works in admin. So there is enough for everybody. And the point is that, you know, I might suit some people and other people might think that I'm dreadful. And then, you know, there are so many amazing, amazing trainers out there who have different messages and different styles and different ways of approaching things. And I think there's room for all of us out there, because quite frankly, what we're trying to do is to change the world for assistance um, <laughs> and to make sure that they get the recognition that they want and that they understand that they are business people they aren't just a sidekick so so much of what we do is about encouragement and underpinning 
you know, what they do for their executives. And I think we really all have the same message. There's no need for us to all start fighting with each other. And in fact, you know, I have people in this industry who joke and call me Switzerland because I really, really never argue with anybody. People occasionally have arguments with me, but I think, you know, my approach is always, well, they can't have a war if I won't fight. So let's just um, keep doing what I'm doing to the best of my ability. And always, if anybody wants my help with promoting anything, I had a meeting with somebody this week who started a new show for assistance. And they were saying, you know, where is the line where you feel like I'm crossing the border and I'm becoming competition? And I said, but it's not like that, because as a publisher, certainly, you're always there making sure that the assistants know of everything that's going on. Because if I don't suit them, I want to make sure that they can find somebody that they do suit. Mm -hmm. Or if they can't afford to come to live, there is something else that they can afford to go to. And, you know, we do admin chat every week, which is our um, online training, which is free of charge, which is our commitment to people that can't afford training. So it's about making sure there's training at every single level from every different kind of personality. And as long as the message is strong and as long as the message isn't denigrating to the assistant, I will always promote it. That's great. Well, we appreciate your uh, support. De- definitely. Thank you. Uh, what you know, you travel all around the world and you're teaching assistants in different countries. Have you noticed any differences in maybe U- United States assistance versus UK or elsewhere? Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of Nova Chief of Staff Certification, the first of its kind online course for aspiring and existing chiefs of staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, Nova's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a chief of staff style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com slash Nova to learn more, grab the syllabus, and enroll today. Um, I think there's the very obvious stuff, like the fact that there are so many different um, job titles, and that all gets very confusing. Hmm. You know, we've come across 162 job titles in this market so far. And, you know, (laughs) to give you an example, in the UK, the two major titles are PA and EA. So PA is a personal assistant and EA is an executive assistant. But the PA in the UK is the equivalent to an AA, to administrative assistant in the States. Um, And in the UK, a PA is lower than an EA. In Australia, an EA is lower than a PA. In Europe, you've got management assistants. So you can see that is all very confusing before we start. And the problem is that then we get into real issues around career progression because nobody is quite sure how you get from one stage to another and what that actually means. But maybe we can talk about that in a bit. Hmm. But really, I think where we do come across um, situations where maybe countries aren't as advanced as advanced as others, it's more often than not about the role of women in the country. Because whether you like it or not, and obviously, you know, we would like for there to be more men in this profession. But the fact is that right now it is a 98 percent female industry. So, you know, where you have a country where maybe the the way that they treat their women is not the way that it should be or they're still catching up, there is going to be a different attitude to the assistants because they've got to get over that before they start getting over where the role is headed. Mm-hmm. Um But then, you know, sometimes I'm absolutely blown away and really um, 
pleasantly surprised and my perceptions are really challenged. So as an example, I trained in Uganda two years ago. And when I was going to Uganda, I was thinking, okay, so my course is really quite high level. There's quite a lot of MBA type stuff in there. And is it going to be too much? Uh, Let's do the first couple of hours and see how we go. And actually, when I got into the room, we looked at out of 25 people in there, 16 of them had degrees, five of them had MBAs and one had a PhD. So the laugh was on me, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, but they get the value of education. So I think the states have got um, some amazing assistants. I think it's got some rubbish assistants, too. Mm. But I think it's pretty much like that everywhere in the world. Yeah. The issues are certainly the same, Jeremy, actually. The issues about trying to forge our way through is absolutely the same. And I think that's exciting. I think, you know, we when I first started this journey eight years ago, um, and I started traveling, I was meeting meeting pockets of people all over the world who were doing their thing and really doing amazing things in their countries. But really, they didn't ever talk to each other. And although World Administrators Summit was in place, which is like the G8 for assistance, um, I, I'm not sure whether you've talked to Eth Lloyd yet, but they had last year in Frankfurt, the heads of associations from 24 different countries there. And for most countries, three different delegates, all of whom were talking about the state of the nation and how we drive forward the profession to professionalize it and to make sure it's recognized as a career across the world and to kind of uniform the way that um, the career progression goes. And, you know, World Summit's been going since 1991, but what tended to happen was they'd have a meeting and then because there weren't, wasn't the internet, the notes would be put in a drawer somewhere and they'd start again three years later. Whereas now, 2015, we had World Summit in Papua New Guinea and we did a whole piece of work there that resulted in three years of research that was then delivered in Frankfurt this uh, in 2018. And now we've decided the next one is going to be 2020, by which stage hopefully it will all be ratified and we will be able to go to government and say the role has changed and this how it is how it is. And this is the structure we're recommending to look at skill sets and to look at levels so that if you're an assistant, for example, in New York and you decide you want to move to London or to South Africa or wherever you want to be, everybody understands what a level four assistant looks like and what the skill sets are that sit underneath that. Um, I think that's very exciting because it does several things. The first thing it does is it means that the employers are able to look and think, well, who do I want to employ and what do they skill sets do they have? And therefore, they're able to say, oh, okay, I need a level four assistant. And that should be this kind of remuneration. It means the assistants themselves are going to be able to see how they get from one level to the next. It means people coming into the profession will be able to look and because they're coming in at level one, they're going to be able to go, okay, so, uh, you know, if I am a level one, obviously, there's a level two, three, four. So it says that there is career progression, it isn't just a job, it is now a career. So, uh, and for trainers as well, you know, we'll be able to go and say, this is a training course that's aimed at level five assistance, or this is a training course. So everybody understands where they sit. And it kind of makes it a bit like accountancy or engineering, whatever. Not that there are job titles at the top, because we could be arguing about that forever. But where there there is this very clear career progression, and everybody understands the skills that are needed in order to do that. So without getting into the nitty-gritty details of of each maybe maybe level what would you say is one of the big differences between you know maybe an EA at tier 1 versus an EA at level 5 Oh my word I think it's mainly about communication and being proactive 
I think, you know, it, when I start, I, I've recently done um, several consultancy projects with some really, really huge companies um, where we've been putting career progression in place for them. And the difference between the kind of uh, EA, well, we would call it a PA over here, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, those those assistants and the EAs, a very good example is that you would expect a middle level assistant maybe to be dealing with emails on behalf of their executives and to be triaging them. But at the top level, you would be expecting the EA to be able to answer the majority of those emails on the Mm. executive's behalf. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's a great example. (laughs) Yeah. So it's about looking and thinking, how do I make their life easier? I think right at the very top level, what we're seeing more and more, and it's interesting with the advent of AI, you know, because Obviously, the World Economic Forum is saying that the role of the assistant is going to be dead by 2022, which we all know is nonsense. <laughs> um, they're also saying that um, one of the biggest skill sets that they're going to need is emotional intelligence. People move, moving forward in work, one of the biggest skill sets is emotional intelligence. And we proved um, two years ago in a piece of research we did by Avery with Avery that assistants have on average 18% more emotional intelligence than anybody else in the office. So, you know, I think moving forwards, um, certainly with this consultancy we've been doing, we've been looking at how you take the task space things and maybe build a team that does the task based stuff. Because if you are able to automate, if you're able to do something the same way twice, it's going to be able to be automated, right? So eventually, that task based stuff will go to AI, it already is starting to. But that's great because in some ways it frees up the assistants to be able to deliver more return on investment for the company. And to me, you know, I'm forever saying when I'm doing my training, you are employed by your executive to make sure that they are absolutely the best they can possibly be. However, you need to understand that you're employed by the business to do that, not by the executive. So think about that. What does that actually mean? What it means is that the business is paying you a salary to look at every single hour that your executive works and to make sure that they are working that hour to the most efficient and most cost effective way so that the business gets the most out of the salary they are paying them. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. 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 It it helps you, you know, for to use myself as, as an example, I'm in a artificial intelligence software company. And part of the thing that I've been trying to do is, you know, it's a startup. I was hired number one and, you know, we've kind of I've worn many hats uh, since day one. Um, and part of what I'm trying to do is think, okay, not only how can I help be, you know, be proactive with my executive's calendar and really make sure that he's spending every hour at the highest, you know, effectiveness and productivity for for what the company needs to do. But what can I do to drive our sales? What can I do to bring on more investors? What can I do to uh, help the overall team be more efficient? Because the ultimate goal is to build a great company and succeed as a company. And so if I'm helping directly impact that while supporting my executive, then that's, you know, there's no AI that's going to be able to replace me. 
I totally agree. I'm seeing this more and more, you know, the assistants are stepping up. And the two most important questions, I think, are where can I take on more responsibility? And I don't mean more work. What I mean is there are things that your executive will be doing that you know that if you were to do them, it would, you know, another great example is the whole email piece where I know that the latest stat says that the average executive spends 58% of their time doing email. Yes. So that's absolute nonsense. If your executive is saying, no, I want to do my emails and I'm not going to let you into them. If an assistant triages those emails, you can take it down to maybe 12 to 20 percent. And if you're timesing that by their salary, that's dropping directly to the bottom line. And that's before your executive uses that time you freed up to go and do phenomenal deals or come up with new revenue streams or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, I think if the assistants are looking at where they can take on more responsibility and take those administrative tasks away from their executive, it frees the executive up to do more amazing work. And it's been proven that if an assistant is taking more high skilled roles on, that always drops to the bottom line and to the productivity of the business. The other thing I would say is that they should be looking at where they can add more value. And that's just around conversations. You know, how do they deep dive more into things? Because I think at the very top level, the EAs there understand the business strategy. They understand the brand. They understand their executives, key performance indicators and goals. I never understand why assistants come to me and say, well, Lucy, I've got my meeting, my end of year meeting, and we've got to discuss what my goals are for next year. And I can't think of any. I'm like, well, what are your executives goals? Because surely if you're a strategic business partnership, even if you're not doing the same things that they are, you're still meant to be underpinning their goals. Mm -hmm. So how do they get to them? Yeah, that's great. That question gets brought up a lot and <laughs> so that's a great it answer does. <laughs> uh speaking of things that are brought up a lot what's the number one struggle that you've heard from assistants um, all over the world that they deal with oh gosh there are so many there are so many i think it's um we're getting better, but I think recognition is the first thing and disrespect and people not understanding what it is that they do. Hmm. I honestly believe that if the executives were to use their assistance properly, you could change the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, and whenever I go and teach them, they come out going, wow, that was so amazing. Please come back and talk to our executives. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, that's becoming more and more prevalent. I think that's where we need to be as trainers as much as um, talking to the assistants now. I think the assistants are really starting to get it. And there is a very – I wrote a piece a little while back that said, "Is are we in an evolution or a revolution? And I think it, we're kind of in the middle of both, but it's very gentle because assistants on the whole are pretty gentle people. And we're the ones who fix things and make things better and make things smooth things out. So we don't want to make too much of a fuss. But actually, it needs doing. And I think um, that's the number one thing for me. It's about the skill stuff. You know, you're either going to be want to be one of those EAs that is 
24-7, full-on driving the business, all the stuff we just talked about, or you're going to want to be a middle management assistant because that's the other thing. When Lehman's went bang 10 years ago and the assistants, they got rid of all middle management and then went to the assistants and said, ah, can you help us out just for a little period of time? You know, they took, it's something like 89% of assistants are now doing events. 52% are doing HR. There's loads of them doing finance or marketing or PR. And they come to me and they say, oh, you know, I don't think I'm an assistant anymore, really, because I'm doing all this other middle management stuff. Well, that's the job for a whole heap of assistants right the way across the world. That's the job. Mm-hmm. And then you've got those that are looking after other people. So it's over 50 percent now looking after two or more other people. And then you have the kind of typing pool lot who are doing the lots of businesses are going back to putting people in a pool and getting them purely to do the admin stuff. Um as opposed to the more strategic stuff. But, you know, I think the assistants are getting it. They're getting where they fit and they can see the opportunities on the whole and where it's headed. I think it's the businesses now that we really have to, because they're not very good at speaking up and explaining how to use them. They've got to get to grips with the fact that they almost have a duty to train their managers. And Bonnie Lowe Craman has a great stat that says that the average age a manager gets um, management training is 42 years old. Well, if that's the case, that's a whole heap of management walking around without a clue what they're doing. <laughs> and actually, and actually, you know, the assistants need to train them how to use them properly because that's what the business has hired them for. So if an assistant called you tomorrow and said they're not respected in their current role, what would yeah. you say to them? Oh, I have some great systems and things. I would talk to them about why they felt that was. And I would talk about the kind of relationship they had with their executive and what conversations they had had thus far. Um, but I have at the end of my training course, I have a very um strong way of allowing them to go back and have those conversations, which is, I say, okay, you need to go back tomorrow and you need to say to your executive, the woman that trained me yesterday, in in other words, me, uh, reminded me that my role is to make you absolutely the best that you can be and that that is what the business pays me for. And I have some ideas around that. Mm. And I would like to sit down and have a meeting with you to talk about it. And then put into place three ideas of ways that you can either add value or you can take more responsibility. They don't have to be huge ideas, but go and deliver those impeccably. When you go and you talk, you have to plan that meeting because otherwise it's going to all be a bit woolly. But when you go into the meeting, you need to talk to them in business terms about if they give you this extra responsibility um, or they allow you to get to add value, what is it going to do for them and for the business? It's not about what it's going to do for you. It's about what it's going to do for them and the business. And once you've managed to persuade them on that, then deliver it impeccably. Then you'll be able to talk to them about doing more things, but do only three to start with. So they have a really tangible way of going and talking. And actually, I would encourage if anybody's listening out there, you could say the same thing. I listened to a really great podcast and that woman that I listened to reminded me that my role is to make you the very best you can be. And I have some ideas around that. That's great. And I, th- I think uh, one, one thing that's going around in the marketing world is this idea, I think Donald Miller at uh, StoryBrand um, talks about this, but it's this idea that we as, as businesses are not the hero, but our clients or our customers are the hero. And we're simply the guide that's helping the hero, you know, save the day. And so I love that. I've, I've kind of just now tied that 
you know, listening to you <laughs> talk, I just tied that to the role of an assistant. And I've always thought, okay, the role, the assistants should not be high ego. Um, you know, I'm kind of the hero in this, in the story. It's more, I'm the guide that's supporting my, my executive. And if you see yourself in the more of a servant leadership role, um, you're not going to try to use your executive to get the spotlight or to get your, you know, your career gains, but you're going to actually be a, elevated to a higher uh, level of an assistant by serving and helping them and guiding them along the way. And so every, every superhero movie, every, every good story has a hero, but then there's a point in that story where the hero needs a guide to come alongside them. Um, and that's kind Absolutely. of how I see that with assistance too. I think so too. And I think that if you're intending to be the one who's the hero, this isn't the job for you. Right. Having said that, what I would say to you is that all our research says that it isn't about being some subservient sidekick either. Right. What, when you ask the executives what the um, characteristics are that they want from assistants, it's all things like leadership, communication, collaboration, respect you know, understanding what they need to deliver. And in fact, to me, I really, really believe that when you get it right with an executive, one of you breathes in and the other one breathes out. And it should be like two sides of the coin. So that, you know, <laughs> I know, for example, that I have a very, very low completer finisher. I get bored very easily. I'm great at getting up there and waving my arms around and getting everybody moving forward and driving change and all that stuff. But actually, Matthew is the one, my assistant, who picks everything up and makes sure that it happens and puts the processes in place. And I know that Matthew has me absolutely, totally. I could phone him at any time of the day or night and say, I have a problem, I'm stuck here, and I can't get to this next appointment where I'm meant to be presenting tomorrow. And he would know what the flight was, he'd know who he needed to contact, he'd know where I was coming from. You know, it, he would have every detail there. So I can just get on with doing what I'm phenomenal at, and not worry about whether the detail is taking place properly, because he's doing that. So he's truly my strategic business partner, I couldn't run my business without him. Yeah, and I and I think if I t think about the story um, idea, you know, you think about Star Wars with Luke Skywalker as the hero, but Yoda is his one of his guides along the way, and you know, Yoda is one of the most um, popular Star Wars characters. <laughs> I, uh, I can't tell you how much Matthew is going to love that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome, Matthew. Uh, speaking speaking of Matthew, so you you know. You have, a, you have a male assistant in Matthew. I'm a male assistant. But as you mentioned yeah. earlier, women dominate the role. What do you think we can do to encourage more men to take on the exciting and rewarding career of an assistant? I think it's very interesting that since the job title has started to change, there are a lot more men getting into it. Mm. Um, you know, um, Google last year um, challenged its chief of staff to make sure that the recruitment was half and half. Um, they managed to do it, but I think that was purely because um, they changed the title to administrative business partner. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think when you start talking about a PA or an EA or an administrative assistant or whatever, part of the problem is with the word assistant because it suggests that you're assisting and not doing, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I don't think many men are very good at that. I think they want to feel like they're doing and they're achieving. And that might sound very sexist. I, do, I don't think so. I think, you know, 
most of business is about empowerment, isn't it? You've got to be doing something that makes your heart sing. Mm-hmm. And most men are not happy to be a sidekick, which is the way it's been portrayed for a very long time. I think change the terminology, make it very clear what the career progression is so that it is a career and not just a job. And then you'll probably find we'll pick up. And that's good for everybody, because I think it will mean the remuneration goes up, too, actually, once we've got more men in the profession. And Matthew is phenomenal. I know some absolutely superb assistants who are men, you know. But it's it's a, before I run ran this magazine. At one point, I was running a stable of magazines and exhibitions for the engineering industry. And at that point, we were running campaigns which were manufacturing matters and trying to get more women into the profession. Mm-hmm. So you know, I've done this from the other side as well. And it's it's slow and it's steady, but we'll get there. Hmm. Yeah, my wife was a project engineer at a construction company, and they wanted her to be a superintendent. So she decided that she didn't want to be a superintendent without kind of working in the field for a while. So yeah. she demoted herself to a carpenter's apprentice. And, you know, so she ended up definitely being on the, uh, they were very excited to have a woman um, on the on the job site. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I think we're, I, I think that can, that one can only move forward, really. And I think it's great when there are role models like you and Matthew and, you know, there are so many of you out there now that are really and Victoria Darrow over here, her excellent campaign, not just a girl's job, has really been um, shouting about why men should be more in the profession. And I, you know, they've had quite a lot of national press over here on it. And I think it's great. It's all moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think your point about the titles and the fact that it's a career or, or it's always been a career, but it's it's being more respected as a career and and seen as a career more broadly uh that's the part that kind of drew me to it originally i i didn't really think of it and then somebody asked me like do you see this job as a career or a stepping stone and i was like oh a career wow i didn't know that you know i could this could be a career so um yeah anyway yeah i I totally agree so what's if you could snap your fingers and instantly give all assistants more of something what would it be respect respect and I don't mean well I don't mean self-respect although there are some of them that could do with some of that because some of them don't believe in themselves at all but respect and not from the bosses either actually because when you start looking at um, executives and talking to them about how much they value their assistance they really do I think it's about the world of business full stop not really understanding what they do and not understanding how the role has changed and that it isn't just tea and typing anymore it's something that is a proper business role what makes someone a leader assistant? Okay, so you mentioned earlier the term servant leader, and I, so I don't know whether you saw the thread on um, social media a while back, but somebody was going bonkers about the fact that they had been called a servant leader and saying they thought it was really demeaning. Hmm. I don't think so at all. I think at heart... You have to be a servant leader to be successful in this role. Um, and having said that, I would I would count myself as a servant leader. You know, I think they're misunderstanding what that means. For me, a servant leader is somebody, you know, yes, I'm a leader. Yes, I'm out there and I'm campaigning on their behalf and I'm talking to them and I'm doing all that stuff. But at the heart of what I do is always what is right for them. You know, every decision that I make, every business decision that I make, the first question that I always ask is myself is, is this what is right for the assistants? 
not what's right for me or for the business or for the people we're trying to do business with, but is this what's right for the assistants? That is a true servant leader. If they are looking at their executive and they are thinking, is this what's right for the business and what's right for my leader? Then that is how I think you get to be exceptional and to really lead. Because if you get to a point where you can do that properly, the trust is there. And that's when you get that two sides of the coin, breathe in, breathe out relationship. And that's where you then get to have autonomy and you get to have that structured communication, which leads to being able to have your place within the business and at the table. And Veronica Cochran, who is the um, current CEO of IAAP did that brilliant speech at summit last year. But one of the things that really struck out that stuck out to me was when she said, we don't just want to seat at the table. We want to be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the servant leadership thing is still kind of counter-cultural, counter-intuitive to, to many. But if you think about the, you know, some of the greatest leaders in history, um, they, they, were great leaders because they served their their people. I couldn't agree more. I mean, just just start looking at the people who I you would well consider servant leaders. You know, with Gandhi or with Mother Teresa or with um, the Queen or you know some of these really really phenomenal leaders across the world that really serve their people mm-hmm. and have that in their heart. It doesn't make them weak people. Yes, exactly. Well, Lucy, uh, thank you so much for, for joining the episode today and uh, really, really encouraged by our conversation. I think it was great. Um, is there any, any question, uh, kind of put you on the spot, any question you would ask me as, a, as an assistant? Any question I'd ask you as an assistant? I am really interested as to what you are going to do next because I think you are building a really necessary place for yourself within this industry. So obviously you're doing the podcast and that's wonderful, but what are you hoping to do? Where do you see yourself going? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of giving up some of my Netflix watching to, uh, to do this podcast because uh, I'm doing it on the side and I'm really looking forward to someday putting my thoughts into a book. Um, so that would be something that I would love to do someday. And then, yeah, I, I love traveling um, and, and meeting assistants all over the world. So if I get more opportunities to do that, uh, I'd love to do that. Um, but yeah, I really, you know, honestly, I just, I'm loving my, my day job. Um, I've got a very unique opportunity at the software company with a great executive. Um, and But then I also love doing the podcast and my blog, and I love helping as many assistants as I can. I love hearing, I heard from an assistant yesterday, in fact, that said that, one of the episodes um, of my podcast helped her land a job um, that she was trying to get, and it just helped her in the interview process. And so she she literally said that this episode got me this job, <laughs> and I was just like, "Wow, that's that's very humbling." Um, so I'm just excited to help however I can. That's phenomenal. That's really phenomenal. And we'll have to see what we can do about getting you traveling some more. Yes. Yes. Sounds great. Sounds great. I still haven't been to London. So I got to go to Frankfurt, but I still haven't gone to London. So I'm sure you have an extra bed, right? You've got a full house or your your house. Are they all out of the house now? They are. all. If they weren't all out of the house, I'd be like a cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Lucy. Uh, where can we find you online and how can we support what you're doing? 
Okay, so the website is www.executivesecretary.com. Um, if you were interested in looking at the conferences, the conferences that we do, um, which we currently do in London, Johannesburg, Wellington, Sydney, and Atlanta every year, um, you can find those at executivesecretarylive.com. Um, and other than that, we've got the Executive Secretary Magazine Facebook group and LinkedIn group. And you can follow me at Lucy Brazier on Twitter if you'd like to do that. Great. I'll put all those links in the show notes and we will talk to you soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Lucy, for a great conversation. Check out the show notes at leaderassistant.com slash 38. And you can get all the links to connect with Lucy and her team. And this episode, I'm going to close it off a little differently with another quote from Lucy. So we'll talk to you next time. Hello, this is Lucy Brazier. Today's leadership quote comes from Hamlet. This above all, to thy own self be true, and it will follow as night does day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. Apple Podcasts. Go Bullos.com.